0: All right, I am back in full effect. Detroit is different podcast studios with a friend of a really good friend. My brother Freddie was choosing, introduced me to her years ago now. And Michelle Oberholzer is in full effect. Detroit is different podcast studios, fresh with all types of ideas, uh, fighting for, when I met her, she was fighting for water, housing, and other forms of better qualities of life for people. Uh, passionate. You may have seen her on the, the recent Vice story that has Detroiters looking at the Wayne County tax sale, like, what the hell is going on in our city? Yep. Uh, you may have seen her um, at many local rallies and initiatives if you're into Detroit rallies and initiatives fighting for justice um, from a strong Swell of uh, matriarchs and women that are strong in the community, like the Grace Lee Boggs, like the Maureen Taylors, the Agnes Hitchcocks and Aurora Harris's, the Gloria Houses or Mama Neb's and so many others. The lineage runs on and it runs into Michelle. Michelle, Mm -hmm. how you feel?
1: Wow, I feel honored. Thank you.
0: Yes, yes. I forgot to mention and um, I'm, I'm going to mention Marion Kramer, too, because Marion and Teresa Kelly do get down with a lot of stuff, too, with Diane McCouse. It's, it's like when you start naming off people, it's, it's like, damn, you're going to forget something.
1: Isn't that beautiful? There's so many people to name.
0: I know. So, like, on one hand, it's beautiful. And then on another hand, it's like, damn, we need all of these fighters yeah. for justice. Yeah. So what the hell is going on in my community? Yeah. So let's start there. Uh, you're tied to the city of Detroit. Uh, what brought you or your family to this area?
1: Well, in terms of me living in Detroit, I came alone. I didn't come with my family, but my, I do have family ties here. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I moved here about five years ago now, I got to rediscover a lot of those stories. That My grandmother has a great memory. She remembers addresses, and uh, she has bad visions. So, I cut her toenails for her, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I think, by the way, we should all do for our elders uh, in general. But we kind of use that. That's a new story for me. We used that time to get family history, and it's a beautiful tradition now. And she would just tell me about all these places and memories in in Detroit. So that really added a layer for me and helped it come alive for me in a different way. Um, I worked in Detroit after college, and I worked at a nonprofit called Next Energy, and I was the solar girl, and I was helping to bring solar energy to the automotive economy um, for all these businesses that maybe didn't have the sales they used to have with cars, and I was learning about solar. I just loved environmental causes, and it was an amazing opportunity for me. It was kind of a, a taste of what opportunity the city could have.
0: What, around what time was this?
1: That was in 2009, eight.
0: 2008. Yeah. Okay, so ten years back. Yeah. Solar energy. Um, What was um, what was the reception that you received from people in and around the city?
1: Hmm. Um, How do I even answer that? I I mean I was so young, and I'm talking about solar Hmm. energy, which is not something inherently obvious it's not new it's been around for decades so i think people were probably in general skeptical but also open-minded about it what we were doing is kind of matchmaking different manufacturers and the premise was a lot of these companies they didn't have a sales branch there was only ever three customers the big three and so they weren't hip to that they didn't even have a website or like a marketing division or whatever and so we were trying to fill that gap so i think there was interest in that way But the industry is so volatile because it depends on uh, policy, you know, state and federal policy that, you know, is very delicate and it will go away in a year and then the whole thing falls. So people weren't really falling over themselves, really.
0: Okay, so that's from the industry standpoint. But this was like you touching the city. What did the city feel like? Because Mm. eight years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, seems 2008, seems as though it were, like, and sometimes, like, depending upon, I guess, who you ask and what snapshot, um, it was, like, a different city in a lot of ways. Like, what what stood out then and what stands out not? Like, what were some of the distinct things you remember most mm-hmm. about being in the city, being around the city, and the culture of it? So...
1: It was different, but I was different. So I don't really trust myself to to no honestly portray it. I yeah. wasn't living here, for one thing. And I was a commuter. I came in and out, and I was in this little narrow workspace. But the th- one thing I remember that really struck me is that we had an intern who was born and raised in Detroit, and his dream was to be the mayor of Detroit. And he was oh. so smart. He's my friend now. We reunited when I moved back here. And... Uh, he he made such an impression on me because I thought this person's dreams are wrapped up in this city, and I didn't grow up knowing that Detroit was something that people aspired to. Frankly, that was not mm-hmm. part of my education, and so he really made an impression on me. And um, I think that it was it was exciting for me to see Detroit as a destination, as a, as the place that gave me this wonderful job, and so I was excited about it in that way. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So since then, what has shaped your vision of the city, and what do you see?
1: I I see a lot. Sometimes when people ask me about Detroit, they say, "Is this true? Is that true?" I say, "Everything you've heard is true—the good and the bad." Like it seems like it's all true. Then there's so many different truths that that coexist here. I I love the city i love what it's given me i feel purposeful i feel like i have found a place i have relationships i i mean it's given me so much and so obviously i think it's wonderful in that way and and many of the people i've met and the work but to what you alluded to before why do we need so many people to be fighting just for justice you know i think i i have very real fears because i witness the neglect and the active forces of destruction that are in effect right now in the city. And I I've learned from my time here how much easier it is to destroy than it is to create. Mm. And so when we when we lose a home permanently, you know, I, I just don't I don't really see how we're gonna come back from that when it happens at scale every year still, even amidst the so called recovery. So I, I'm fearful in that way. And then I also have learned a lot That um, people are resilient in ways that I myself have, you know, have to trust that it will be okay. You know, it could be much better. And that's what we fight for. Um, Hmm. Now on that,
0: and I'm definitely going to refill this uh, (laughs) Coke on this point. The Vice story that came out. Yeah. And um, what's so funny, my aunt sent that to me and tagged it to me on Facebook. She was like, watch this. And then some of the other people across the nation started hitting me up. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, man. I was like, I already know. I, don't, I may not even want to watch this. Right. So then when I saw it and I saw some of your work, and I remember you talking to me about this before. And then I was like, man, I'm like, damn, you know, this is uh, something out of like uh. uh, uh, uh A Michael Moore documentary or something, you know what I mean? Like um, you know, people paying rent to live in homes that they've had their whole lives. And then being in a community with a lot of homes like that. Like I just redid the roof on the house next door to here. Um, so I'm paying for the roof. I didn't finish paying all my taxes, but with a new roof, I know I set my home up for like a great home for somebody to poach <laughs> you know um, yes oh. you like some of these concepts that we're fighting against like just, just talk about the tonality of it and and the systems that exist and the fights that you're taking and working with so many of these people and these families and reading the legalese and and going through these systems like what's going on give me give me like a, a day on the ground in looking to help a person keep their home
1: yeah i mean before i really dive into that i just i can't believe what you just said and you touched on something so important when i deal with a resident of a foreclosed home There are these months that go by where the Wayne County treasurer is the owner, and then a few months later they're going to put it up for sale. And those months are time for the renter to try and save their money, see if they can make a go of it and buy this home. And it's highest bid wins. It is you versus everyone literally in the auction. Highest bid wins. doesn't matter if you raise your kids there. doesn't matter whatever. And not only that, you are penalized for being a good steward of your home. So I literally have conversations with people where I caution them about caring for their home. And I say, maybe you plant the garden in the backyard this year. Maybe don't fix those steps. And it is so wrong, just in a very basic way. This is not the this is not the biggest thing that is wrong but it touches on something important which is that there's actually an incentive not to care for something both emotionally and physically and financially and all that because it might not be yours and your very care for it is a thing that can be turned against you because you have just increased the value to take advantage of it the occupied homes are the ones that are taken in the auction because they're livable clearly and they come with a ready customer you can start charging rent Soon as you get that deed, you might make back what you spent on in a couple months. You know, and that's the system. One thing that that vice video did, which I think is important, there was a conversation with, you know, the the alter ego, the investor, versus the nonprofit, and the investor was being interviewed, and he said, "Yeah, I am buying them, but but don't be mad at me for buying them. I'm I'm not the one who put them up for sale." And that's the thing. It's our government, our local government who puts these properties up for sale and that set up the system. You know, when it was the banking industry foreclosing on everyone, it it was just sh- super shitty. But no one, I mean, so wolf's a wolf. Like, you don't expect Wall Street to really give a shit, you know? But don't you expect the local government, the representative local government, to act in ways that aren't manifestly self-destructive? You would think. And that's the part that... Um, always gets me and makes me um, saddest, honestly, about this.
0: And then then even other layers to this, like when I spoke to you before the interview today, like, I've known the Sabree family for years, like, uh, Eric's son was somebody, like, you know, they came up with one of the guys that I will rap with, so, like, known him since he was a teenager so like I've known the family connected to this but even in looking to go down there to see what's going on with my tax situation it's humbling and humiliating Mm -hmm. like it's humbling to be with the people Mm -hmm. it's humiliating because I'm like herding like cattle and the only person that actually I can have a physical relationship and conversation with is a armed county sheriff Mm. Like that's the only person you can talk to when you go down there to four hundred mile row to talk about taxes, and this may be the last time you you possibly can advocate for a property that's been in your family for generations. You know what I'm saying? Like the only person you can really have like a, a face to face, not through the glass, right? Conversation <laughs> right. with is a cop. You, you know? can
1: come to my office. But yeah, (laughs) I know, know I do. So it's
0: like, and I'm talking about from the
1: government, like
0: that's some different, that's some different type of shit.
1: Yeah. And you know, part of it is just the volume of it, the volume of it. And that's another of the scary things about where we're at right now is these policies came into place at a state level and they coincided with some, some really dramatic global national shit and the housing crisis that happened. And, and it, it, we, because Detroit had so many homeowners, we had so much to lose. Yeah. And and we have. Now for the first time in decades, there are more renters than owners in Detroit. That's, we, we've inverted the, the proportion now. And um, mm-hmm. and that's only gonna continue. It's not like the opportunities to buy are really out there and in the let's same way. let's
0: talk a little bit about that as some of my clients, one of my clients is big on like talking and interacting with some of the, um, some international investors that are buying homes in bulk. Yeah. And then like auctioning. So like Look. you'll, so like a group of like people from, I don't know, Russia or something will buy like 50 different Detroit properties, bundle them together and make it an investment, get other investors to invest. But if you're just like a person looking to start a family, you almost need a home like a mortgage is not even going to be considered to you unless you get a home that's worth more than like 120K. Yeah. So
1: that's that's what I was trying to get at, too, is when you have so much turnover, you necessarily have to work in bulk because you can't be a good steward of these individual things. And, and uh, you know, the land bank now owns 90,000 properties. That's almost a quarter of the city that they own. And, and they don't have better policies if you're going to live in one of their homes versus if you're going to flip it. And so they don't treat you any differently. Uh, and so the policies are, are ones that prefer people with with bankability, with credit, with vo- bulk volume, you know, that you can even get the ear of somebody because you're talking double digits instead of just one-offs. And so, and, and as is just a, an understanding the human capacity of the people there I see why yeah it's it's appealing to go in the bulk pro- programs because um there's so much there's so much volume there and um, and it leads to a little bit of of coldness too in the processes I think that okay now you asked me at the beginning of this conversation about the change from 2008 till now and and one of the changes is, is just in the semantics. I remember when they talked about downsizing, and that was like a thing in the news commonly, national news, downsizing. They're talking about downsizing Detroit. And then that became unfashionable, and they started calling it right-sizing. And it was just a verbal flip. And everyone knew, duh, it's the same thing. It was unpopular, and it would have been expensive to carry out. Because if you're going to do eminent domain on someone, you got to pay them to move. So what we then had was the void. We didn't talk about it. And we had a, a form of passive eviction, which is tax foreclosure and water shutoffs. And the, one of the incredible differences there, other than it being um, not organized, you know, it's not shrinking in a thoughtful way or whatever, is that it's based on a, a presumption of merit. Not only do I not pay you, I tell you it's your fault and don't let the door hit you on the way out. You don't even get any equity. You know, you get nothing. And um, and it's, again, it's based on an understanding that you didn't do this, therefore you lose. And it's legal or it's based on something that is written in the law. And so uh, it allows that coldness of the process that you deal with when you go down there and it allows this to happen in bulk and it allows us um, to have a, somewhat orderly process to do something extremely radical mm. and harmful which is to take private property
0: and um mentioning the water is something that three of the women i mentioned uh, agnes hitchcock marion kramer and also um man it's like my mind just went blank marion kramer agnes hitchcock and I also think, uh, man, my mind just went blank and she's always with both of them. But they fought so much on behalf of people when it comes to water rights. And uh, what's so crazy about that is I've been a homeowner now for for a long time, you know, and, and it, it's changed. Like being a homeowner at a young age has changed like my uh, uh certain qualities of my life like certain things I do like sometimes I buy equipment like the equipment we have here in the studio and then I'm investing in the home and different things like that but in home ownership I remember around that time around 2008 that's when we started seeing a shift I used to get billed for water quarterly right and I it would be like 40 like the water bill would be like $45 for a quarter <laughs> then it switched to monthly and then I was like oh man it's about to be something in the game with this and then in a matter of like maybe two years, it accelerated to the point where I was paying $45 a month for what I used to pay for a quarter.
1: Yeah.
0: Now I'm paying probably like uh, $60 a month. And it's going and up. And furthermore, it's continuing to go up. And not only that, if you don't pay it, that consolidates into your tax bill on your property as well. Yes. So the whole concept of what's happening with water is one of those questions where you have like... The water department didn't get any stronger. I don't have new sewer systems. (laughs) I'm paying more money for a service that that has basically remained the same. I think that there are probably like, I don't know, I mean, so much of this has been privatized at this point now, but... There was one point where it was like seven water readers, you know, meter readers for the whole city.
1: It's expensive to run all those shutoff trucks and to tear up all the lines that they do. You know, That's basically what they're spending money on. It is. And and the sewer charges are going up. One of the things, there's so many overlaps with water and taxes.
0: And I mean, this is a fireman thing, but I would argue that most of these fire hydrants outside our houses ain't even working. Most of these sewer systems, when we think about uh, when the water main breaks happening, they're not working. I'm paying for a drainage fee on a couple of because I own some lots around here for 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 drainage on a sewer that ain't even that 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 don't even work. Because anytime it's water and it's ice, you basically can open up campus marshes at my corner
1: There's so many so many overlaps with water and taxes and people know about some of them and some of them are a little more buried. So we all know that the taxes can can uh, the water the unpaid water bill can go on your taxes. Yeah. Right? And we also know that if you have water shutoffs or if you have tax foreclosure that can lead to displacement which can permanently lead to a, a vacant blight at home. Yeah. Those are things that we know. Other things that I see that are, that tie in one similarity is when you get that bill your options are what kinda of payment plan would you like to get on it is not available to you to question the merit of the bill what, who set that rate who, who really why is my sewer charge going up like this you know what am I paying for and why where did where did that originate mm-hmm. and and it really is how would you like to pay or Here's how we'll make you pay um, and penalize you, but you you don't really get to question it. and um, And the water bills are crazy, and the taxes are illegally assessed. Um, and 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 then again, you do understand that this the city needs money, and so it's like, how do we how do we find this balance? It's really, uh, but then it's we cr- get into the but argument of if the city needs money.
0: It's certain incentives that the city's supporting. Like, s- sports stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, certain business, uh, like, okay, the Google deal, if it would have went down. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's like, yeah. it, are, Listen, are, 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 I are know. thousands of residents less important than Google coming? And then, you know, you make the argument of like, well, it'll produce jobs. And it's like, you know, I I've struggled with that as an entrepreneur myself because no business is no no business is job creation. Like a job is an externality, meaning it's it's a it's it's a part of a business, but in today's economy, where most jobs, especially anything connected to tech like Google, you're supposed to want to run lean. The last thing you're trying to do is create uh uh, 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 uh jobs like You know, I I read Inc. and I read Fortune. The companies that they talk about most that they're fascinated with are those companies in Silicon Valley where it's like a room like this. And it's me, you and like two other people. And it's like, hey, this room full of five people made $50 billion. How do you recreate this? It's not (laughs) the old school Carnegie days where it's like, hey, he opened
1: up an industrial factory that hires thousands of people. No, like that. and that's the other, other, other truth to all of this, which is the the head scratcher. Like, what do we do in, a, in an economy where there aren't enough jobs for people? And I think that we have to start switching the way we think about it. And and uh, I, yeah, I don't think that. I don't know. But you know I, what I don't I'm know saying?
0: How to, like, I, I know I'm not I'm not crazy because I read the the business stuff, like anything about the. What's made Google work
1: ain't that it's such a job creation machine. Correct. It's and, because it's lean. And that's the other thing. You know, I don't believe in the means to the end. I don't believe, like, we bend over for this company so that they come here because one day it's going to trickle down. That, I don't believe in that. I just don't. Because once you become so indebted to the... down
0: economics. Yeah. Old, whoever wanted Ronald to get Reagan.
1: trickled on, honestly. Right? <laughs> it's <Trickle down. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> right? never... there's not a... But like, ah, you know... <laughs> that is a good... damn near a t-shirt. it get <laughs> <you> trickled on. <laughs> I'll buy one from you if you yes. make it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that didn't work in the 80s.
1: <laughs> no, and it doesn't now. Like, with, with this arena... So, I work. I work across Cass Park from the arena, and I saw it get constructed, and I, I passed it pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. And what I see when I go to work are almost exclusively white people working on this construction project and these are first of all temporary jobs anyway not permanent and secondly not held by people who are proportionately represented by the city and they just build it into the contract like when they when they bid out for this job there mm-hmm. is a requirement by the city that they hire X percent of of Detroiters if mm-hmm. because of receiving Detroit tax benefits but they just build into their budget that they're gonna pay the fine because they mm-hmm. know they're not gonna do it and that's just one 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 example of how you don't I don't believe in the means to the end uh, you know I don't think that it's going to they're gonna suddenly catch morals later or or not even morals but like they're not going to start considering the the people around them if they weren't made to do it in the first place. So, is the point uh, of a city to support its residents and itself? If so, then you need to bake that into everything that you do, and you don't hurt yourself at the expense of paying a bill.
0: So, you don't with that, I, I do have to ask this, as I've asked, man, you're the first, uh, you're the first. Culturally, because so much of this stuff is culture, but skin in white person, I've asked. Coleman Young had a, a very explicit, I'm hiring 50-50 black and I'm contracting 50-50 black. Like that was like what Coleman believed. Um, when I was younger, I, I thought like, damn, that's radical. You know what I'm saying? When you, you want to just uh, contract with the company that does the work best and, and and hire the person that's the best for the job. But now as I look for the open bids and stuff, it may take that type of radical thing like I'm I'm starting to become a whole lot more in agreement with that type of radical uh practice for a city that's 80% black. Right. Cuz if you don't have those types of like blanket even if like the company that gets contracted is like a ghost black company where it's like <laughs> they put <laughs> it's like the black company and then they subcontract basically the whole contract to a white company. At least it had to trickle trickle down, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> so, like, is, is what's your feeling on, on practices like that?
1: Well, I think that they, I agree with them. I think that they're needed. And I think that, I mean, I can imagine in my head already loopholes, just like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And we talked before about kind of the nepotism and that tendency to uh, assume a benefit mm-hmm. that that you don't necessarily earn but that happens on all sides and so and and you know and speaking back to that bulk processing that we have you know one of the things that I get so upset about is the use of federal funding that was intended to help homeowners that is now being used for demolition and and when I put my non- when i try to think about why this could be like without just being super angry about it and like how and why did someone think that made sense i can see that first of all people are difficult to deal with they have they have lives they're they're imperfect if you have a lot of boxes they're not going to check them all and if you judge them harshly you're going to find them lacking and it's a lot easier to deal with a vacant building where there're frankly no witnesses Right, and you can you can bulk deal it out to your contractor who's gonna just do 24. You don't have to vet each one. You already have a contractor who's gonna do it all. And um, a lot of, I'm really on a on a tangent now, but back to that. You know, I think a lot instead of helping a hundred African American generational homeowners in Detroit, there's now a contracting agency who's probably white or majority white, who's getting funded to, to take that federal money to demolish homes that used to be owned by the person that just got displaced um, by a policy that made it their own fault to lose their home, and and no one sees that as a handout to the contractor, but they would have seen it as a handout if it went to the homeowner. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's really complicated, but basically I think that policies like you mentioned are needed. Um, to to be established, if, especially if there's taxpayer dollars involved, you know, it should be built in that it that it goes back to the people that are funding it. Okay,
0: so with that, on like a whole nother shift in this world, in the lens, and a lot of how I understand the blind racism that goes on, is because I'm a man and I understand the sexism that goes on, like sure. some of the shit I hear, and then. I'm complicit in some of this stuff. Cause I, like I always say this, like I, I take people through a tour through this. Like I take men through a tour through this and they never say, wow, man, it's good to see you successful when you growing in a business. They like, man, I'm sure you bagging them. You know, <laughs> and that's the, and that is the cleaned up version of you can only imagine what the statement is real. Um, and whatever urban colloquialism, black, white, young, old that objectifies women when it comes to sex. Like, in this fight, as you're advocating and you're dealing with, even if you're talking to women, it, these are like patriarchal systems. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like these are very um, male-dominated fields. So even the woman that gets through is looking probably through the lens of men.
1: Mm-hmm. What's that like? Like, what is that feel? You know what? I don't want to say that I, I don't want to dodge that question because there's a lot to say to it, but a couple things in in a in an activist environment in a nonprofit environment. There are a lot of strong women, true, and there is a a, a greater ease I find at coexisting the compassion with the co- the competence. You know, like we bring our heart to work. And I'm not saying men don't do that, and I'm not saying all women do that, but there seems to be, you know, when I go to a conference with nonprofits, I see a lot of longer hair, okay? You know, and there's more women in those spaces. So that's one thing I'll say about that. And the other thing, housing in general, as as I do housing work in Detroit, I find that I'm dealing with a lot of heads of household that are women. And I'm dealing with a lot of female clients and, and mothers and um, that it's almost incidental to the work that I'm dealing with a lot of females and so it doesn't feel super male dominated in that regard but the other thing I'll say is that I am used to operating in male spaces without even really being aware of my difference I mm-hmm. went to I went, at college I went to school for engineering so I was one of very few women in all, all my groups and all my classes and it, I normalize to that, and so I don't always notice when I'm the only woman in the room, <laughs> and I speak loudly, and I, and I walk with force, you know, and I, I'm opinionated, and it's like my naivety at, at not even noticing that I might uh, be different in that space, um, I think is, is helpful in many ways. It's not like I don't know I'm a woman, but, um, I don't feel like I don't belong in those spaces because I am a woman, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if I fully answered that question. But so basically, it's like you've
0: you've normalized already being the only woman in a space.
1: Because,
0: mm-hmm. like I say, it's like I relate because, like, it's a lot of times I'm the only Black person. Yeah. Um, in a space, and it's a unique feeling because, like, it stands out especially being from a city like Detroit, where right. it's predominantly black. You yeah. know what I'm
1: saying? I want to say one thing on this. Um, I told you I worked in Detroit in 2008. And in the time between when I worked here and I ultimately moved here, I, I spent some time in South Africa. And mm-hmm. that was my first experience living in a place where I was not the majority race. And South mm-hmm. Africa was amazing. It was a wonderful experience in making me comfortable and being a minority in that way Mm -hmm. and also in teaching me to talk about race which is not something that i learned at home like (laughs) my my family doesn't talk about race with ease at all they will lower their voice when they identify someone by their race which is an implicit like it's like if she was and it's like, oh, are you saying that's bad? Like, why did you lower your voice to do that? And it's just a general discomfort of, of mm-hmm. acknowledging the thing which is being acknowledged. Like, mm-hmm. that is relevant to this conversation. You can say it, you know? And uh, so that's something, you know, talking about gender, being comfortable in spaces where it's all women or where I'm the only woman, and similar that, that shape-shifting with race. You know, I, I wanna practice talking about acknowledging it And I'm grateful that I've learned to do that as an adult because I I did learn it as a kid.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, so much stuff is weird. Like even with race and gender, you know, gender is definitely becoming one of these things that like a lot of it is way more cultural, like a a personal identity because it's like. You know it's like what level of black and what what's black identity mm-hmm. it's more like a thought process and you know what i'm saying like um conceptually but i do think that sex and race in our society as much as they are very divisive and, and certainly um huge components that drive everything like our economy our our, our you know, where we live and everything, it's almost like it's still elephants in the room mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Because even, like, even though I think black people amongst black people talk about race often, if white people walk in the room, then mm-hmm. black people are like...
1: "Mm-hmm." Right. So let's talk about... I want to talk about... my My conflict, frankly, with being a white person and advancing the causes of black people in the city... Hmm and trying to find the balance of leadership and not, you know. So <laughs> when I see something wrong, I want to do something. I want to speak up. I want to act out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to do it alone. But if if I see something about to fall, I'm gonna, you know, there's a burning building, I'm going to grab a bucket, and I'm not necessarily first asking, is this my job? No one asked me to do it, you know? And, and, and so it's been difficult for me to figure out which what is insensitive and what is human. You know?
0: I think that's a very tough one. That's yeah. a good discussion. And um, being an opinionated will speak for my hip black person, like, because I already know, just let alone it's certain people that follow me. As I'm connected to African centered schools, a lot of like, you know, um black nationalist thought, meaning like, you know, black people need to separate, go back to Africa, UNIA, Garveyism. Um and then I'm connected to to other black thought. Like them, your presence alone makes them say, Why the hell is he interviewing this white girl? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Fine. um, yeah, but, but it's, it goes back to like the cultural identity, too. Um, the same white supremacy, and that's, that's, I almost sometimes don't even like using that term because it's almost dismissive to like the backwardsness of what it is. It's, it's a bigger institution because those same systems, uh, have. Have 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 pulled my people in too, like you know, black inferiority is in me too. Like you know, I look at certain black people and I'm like, man, is he really gonna do a good job? Because like I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a part of American society as well, right? So, um, I I would say, I would say having the empathy and like what you're saying in human rights, in, in humanity, uh, where Malcolm X was or Really, at that point, he was El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz, where he was when he passed, Mm. way more in the understanding of, like, damn, you know, when he went to Mecca and he prayed right next to white men and and white women the same way he did in in the mosque of America. And he was like, damn, you know what I'm saying? I really have to challenge my, my thought process, and it's really about human rights. I mean... Like, humanity and having the empathy where it's like, if I eat, you eat. Like getting to that point and not separating one from the other is the grander goal where, I, I, I mean, we. I think we all connect. I mean, I grew up on Christian values because of the household that I grew up in with my grandparents and, and parents and stuff, you know what I'm saying? So like, you know, we all, I, I would I would think that we as human beings Oh, would want to move towards the selflessness like a Jesus Christ. You know, but it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to say, like, damn, you know, I got my car, you know, and not just drive by the bus stop and be like, Psh, I got to get to where I'm going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe one day I'll get to the point where I'm like, I got to get to where, I got to get to the meeting that I'm going to, but this guy at the bus stop got to get to where they going to, too. So why don't I pull over and give mm-hmm. them a ride? I don't know.
1: Um... In terms of race, I think I think I don't want to not do something just because I'm white. You know, I don't want to opt out. I don't want to not be human because I think that might not be my job. I, I see it all as like entropy. I think, you know, even if you were able to successfully return people to uh, some idea of a, of a continent of origin, mm-hmm. wouldn't you still have trade? Would you let that person stay overnight if they flew or took a ship over? Would that person maybe fall in love with someone while they were mm-hmm. there and make a baby? And then, then you know, like we, I think that the more we spend time together, the more we have relationships and love and and empathy and and it, it, all and of that. And I just, might. I, 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 uh, I welcome that. And um, I have. Yeah. I don't know Like
0: like here's a classic example um, Classic exchange When like um, at the uh, It was like that event at MoCab Where we was talking about um, What was that Ruin porn You mm-hmm. spoke up and then I didn't agree with you But we went back and forth But then afterwards we still kicked it And it threw people off Because they <laughs> thought that was a good exchange But it's like Michelle's my homie I'm like that's my homie Like, Like I got mad love for her Period. We can agree to disagree. We can see things from a different point of view. You know what I'm saying? Me being a black man, you know, a, a bigger black man and, and and you being a white woman, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it still doesn't change the perspective of the love that I got for you. And I'm like, that's that, I'm like, that's my homie. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we we come back and forth, but we can agree to disagree and we can move forward and no matter what, like we still have our bond, we still have our friendship, we and still that's, have what we got.
1: And it's better, I mean, selfishly, I I benefit from that because I learn your perspective and I incorporate that into my worldview and my mm-hmm. understanding. I might answer that question differently next time. Yeah. You know, um, interestingly, a lot of the housing work that I've done in the city, the pushback that I get is mostly from white people who are, I think, a little afraid of um, how they might be viewed, in their, like, uh, mm-hmm. and they're like squeamish, and they want to dissociate from me because I might be too vocal. Uh, the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis—that's not public, that's not um, something that can is, is external and, and can mm-hmm. be judged by others—and just is. You know, I have a lot of wonderful relationships um, that don't, to me, seem to be about race, and they're mostly Black people that I work with to help them save their homes or or buy their homes that they've been living in, and um, and I try to use that as more of the metric of if I'm doing good work than if people in a in a public scene are um, worried about how yeah. I might be portrayed.
0: Yeah. Now. With that, that kind of moves me into the next. Where is portrayed? And you're, you're actually a person that of. I know a lot of people that <laughs> have the egos to run for different political offices <laughs> and stuff. But I actually think you you you've been in a fight. You've been you've committed yourself to different causes, and it's specifically a, a certain amount of causes with the water fight and the homing in the home ownership rights. Um, Maureen Taylor was the name that I was looking for. Speaking of which, it just hit me. Maureen Taylor, Mary Ann Kramer, Agnes Hitchcock. Those three. I those are like the it. big three of like when I think of those fights as well. When it comes to fighting for water and uh, welfare rights organization, Maureen Taylor, look that up, give to her a big homie. You know what I'm saying? Good, good, good big homie. But um, uh, when I think of what you're doing, as you transition to this next step of where you're headed, uh, state rep mm-hmm. and, and the fight from that perspective and legislation, yeah, how will that arm you um, for the work that you're doing?
1: So, so right now I'm running for state rep and disregarding, I mean, I wanna just say I have, been in conflict internally about whether or not I should run for this position as a white person. Mm-hmm. And the way that I have reconciled it is that I will present myself as an option to the voters. And if they think that I'll do the best job, they can choose me or not. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's. Because, yeah,
0: you're going to fight that.
1: Cause, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause like, let's put it like this when the white person
0: leaves the room, and I'm assuming this may happen when the black person leaves the room and when the woman leaves the room. Like, they're like, all right, now, you really going to hire a woman. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? I, I, I mean, it was, I mean, even with Hillary Clinton's recent run for presidency, you know, it was people alluding to, like, well, you know, if it's that time of the month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn. Like, mm-hmm. seriously? Yeah. i like, this woman was Secretary of State. She was a senator. Like, you know what I'm saying? So being that I hear that as a man, and then being a black person, it's like, you know, a white person can't never relate to what you've been doing. Right. And it's like, hey, um, Uncle Tom sellout black person. <laughs> I don't necessarily know if you've related to the people as well. <laughs> so like, uh, so it, it's a it will definitely be a, 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 a point of um a point of uh of contention or, or, or a rallying cry. I mean, even with, uh, Mike Duggan's mayoral campaign. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know, and I'm definitely not a Duggan supporter, but I, I personally feel like Benny Napoleon didn't even run a campaign. Right. I don't think Benny Napoleon cared to run a campaign. He didn't reach out to a couple of places that I know specifically asked him to reach out to. Whereas Mike Duggan turned over every rock and a a lot of the black people I know said, well, he got to do that. And I'm like, he ain't got to do that because Mike, because Benny Napoleon ain't do that. So when it set him into office, it set up a trajectory, you know, and I said, I ain't voting for Benny Napoleon. I I, I had a um, where I know most black people would hate this. I had a no vote for that mayoral campaign and mm-hmm. now I think Mike Duggan can be the mayor of Detroit as long as he wants to be because Benny Napoleon didn't really care to even campaign his rallying cry was I'm black and he's white yeah and uh, you should vote for me and he didn't get out he didn't want to uh, my mom even I remember this specifically here we go classic example my mom went down to Benny Napoleon's campaign office and said hey can I get a lawn sign? They said we ain't got none, but you know, our person will get in contact with you when she get when, when we get a chance. Never got a chance. Every person on my block, Mike Duggan came to. And I had I saw on my block, and I'm in the hood. You know what I'm saying? You 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 see where you park. It's it's still it's houses that wasn't torn down, that probably was on the torn down list on other blocks. hmm I had about seven Mike Duggan signs because his campaign people came to my street. And I ain't talking about, like, his black person down that he gave a job because they fresh out of prison person. I'm talking about, like, a high up on the campaign list person came down and walked down the block and actually stuck a sign in the lawn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Talk to people that haven't talked to a politician in years. Right. Benny Napoleon wasn't doing that. So, like, a, I'm caught in a mix, and I'm definitely not the biggest Mike Duggan supporter, but I'm definitely at the point where he gave more of a damn than Benny. Uh, Mike Duggan gave more of a
1: damn than Benny Napoleon did, right? And and I mean, again, I go back to that. It's still ultimately a voter's choice. But if they want to, they could choose me. I'm going to present myself as a choice. I do think I'd be good at it. Uh, I care a lot. I work really hard. Um, but but I am afraid about um, about even assuming that. Someone would want to choose me, you know, and um, and if that is is proper to even suggest, you know, so that that's that's the space that I was at for a while, and i you know I I've, I've come to the point of um, I do think I could do a good job, and the, and the same thing that comes back to the work that I've done before ever running for office, but just deciding to do something about housing, about water, about the work that you like. I got to tell this as a story, actually. Well, before I before I tell the story, I just want to say the reason that I'm running is the same reason I do that work, which is that there is an urgency to it, and I feel like I'm witnessing something, and there's something I can do about it, so I'm going to try. It feels the same to me as when um, I need to hold a door open for somebody or, you know, just any kind of active human um uh, decency that that I'd like to interact with, you know. I I'm doing the same thing. It's the same reflex. Mm-hmm. Um, the story I want to tell is my radicalization story, okay? So when I moved to Detroit, I was in a pretty weird space personally. I just got divorced. I just did, did this solo backpacking trip so I was like in the woods alone for a while. And I moved here. Yeah,
0: in, the, in the world, that is some extreme white people shit. Oh, Continue. I know. I
1: <laughs> I know. I know that. And I uh, moved here, and I was like, okay, let me let me give it six months, because I don't know where in the world I want to be, but I'm going to start here and see. And uh, after six months, I just like I no longer questioned. It. I just knew I wanted to be here, which was a great feeling. And uh, I got a part time job working for Loveland, and at the time they were doing that Motor City mapping thing, and we were surveying homes that were in tax foreclosure. And I had known a little bit about it, like, you know, you, you, you pick up on things. I heard about the $500 house, right? And um, so I was. my job was to survey properties that were in tax foreclosure. I took a picture, and I took down information. Is there a house there? Yes or no. Is that house occupied? Yes or no. And, you know, moving on. But I was on my bike, I wasn't in a car, so I'm like out there, I'm exposed, and I'm having conversations with people who live in these homes. And I'm learning, in many cases, they don't know their house is in foreclosure, they don't know it's for sale, they're not connected to the mechanisms to buy that house. Mm-hmm. I don't know why and how that could be, it blew my mind. And one day, I went to a place that was a nonprofit. it was facing foreclosure, it was on my list of properties to survey, And it said in the window, specializing in tax foreclosure relief. And I thought, oh, my God, the safety net is is up for auction. (laughs) Like, you know, and that was the thing that Mm. let me say, there is not someone steering this ship. This is not handled. This is not in control. I could no longer delude myself into thinking – oh, this isn't your, your job to act on this. Someone else is handling it. Like something's really deeply wrong. All the people that I speak to who don't have answers to their questions aren't getting them answered, Mm -hmm. you know? And I wish that when I knock on people's doors, they didn't need information. I wish they would say, who the hell do you think you are? You know, white girl, (laughs) go home. But like people still need that information. So I'm going to keep giving it to them. You know what I mean? And, uh, when i biked away from that that nonprofit that was in foreclosure something literally changed inside of me where i became radicalized that was the word that was echoing in my head for real and what it meant was i'm going to have to do something about this and it might not be easy and people might question my my race and question my my motives you know and all kinds of things but I already I've helped someone just by giving them the website or Mm -hmm. answering the question you know and and there's a gap here and I'm going to see if I can try to fill it and and I haven't felt that switch flip back like I'm still running on that energy four years later and um again it's that same impulse that's led me to start from the very beginning just to Google some stuff and look some stuff up and start an organization and start a fundraiser and and do this as my work and and now run for office it feels the same um, and that's just the path that I'm on okay
0: all right and that leads to um, I generally ask a couple but I'm gonna ask uh, this one some classic Detroit is different questions great. Um, and I'm gonna just give you two, cause I I, I give the last one for for natural detractors. I always ask like, who's your name, what we're after, but <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this one, uh, a couple that you, one, first car that you owned, <laughs> the make, the model, and the year, and what year did you get it?
1: Oh my God. So wait, I
0: wait, s- wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out. This is like classic Detroit is different stuff. Karima, Oh, here we go. Come on in. <laughs> we got we got other guests for my Hi. next interview. Hi. Karima, <laughs> meet Michelle. Hey Michelle, Michelle. Y'all y'all people uh-huh. keep it real. Hey, hey. Y'all people that keep it real. You're you gonna be in that seat I didn't in want to answer seat question. Is, is Rachel here with you too? No, it's just me. Ah, classic Karima. <laughs> All right, take a take a seat uh on this side. Take a seat here. Oh, okay. You can't take a seat nowhere because you gotta Just go to the Just give me two seconds.
1: Two seconds. Oh, whatever,
0: Karima. All right, all right, all right. So you see, you see the interviews connect tonight. So, classic question. First car, make, model, year, and what year did you get it?
1: The first car that I owned.
0: Yes. And Karima got them leather pants. on. With my oh, name I'm like, on you the top. To I do.
1: I so listen. I studied mechanical engineering. And everyone assumed that I was going to go into automotive because that's what everyone did. I don't like cars. And I have a bad memory for details about cars. Oh, my God. Like so you are,
0: not, you, you are definitely butchering <laughs> the Detroit Classic. You? I know. I, it was you're going to sit here, but you're going to end up sitting there, Kareem. Hey, go to the bathroom thank leather
1: pants. Okay, thank you very much. Kareem and them I leather pants trying to catch me. a me. <laughs> i don't know man it was a ford taurus okay it was green you don't remember inside and out green i don't know inside the and out mm-hmm. okay we call it the green machine green machine mm-hmm. see that's what i'm
0: talking about i love every car needs a name that's classic detrator yeah Do not get a car and not give it a name right I what's use,
1: your car's name
0: ocean's 11 <laughs> It's it's kind of like blue blue greenish like Mm -hmm. an ocean. Mm -hmm. My favorite car's name was uh, Chunky Salsa. I had a uh, (laughs) I had a a, um, it was like a burgundy Monte Carlo. So actually, my homeboy named it. He was like, "Damn, you pulled up in Chunky Salsa." I'm like,
1: "That is the best car (laughs) name." Yeah.
0: Yes, Chunky Salsa was. One of my favorite cars. I'm 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 in a Ford. I've been in a Ford Fusion for a while, but I'm definitely. I don't know, man. I may I may bounce back to a Chevy. Those damn Chevys. My but you I were think in a my Ford favorite. Taurus. How long did How long did your Ford Taurus last? Uh,
1: well, I had it until I moved to New York. I moved to New York and then I passed it down. Mm-hmm. I had it for three years, and I used to drive a lot back when I had it. I would get, like, books on tape from the library Mm -hmm. and, like, (laughs) listen in the car. Okay. Yeah.
0: I generally ask, you said your memory. You already foregone the memory question of where did you go when you first got your grad? She's thinking. I don't know if she can or cannot remember. I can't. Okay. All right. Here's a more creative question as a creative, and you're actually doing an acapella singing set mm-hmm. tomorrow, Yeah. Uh, but let's go with this. You're a DJ, the <laughs> end of the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs.
1: No, I don't like this question. What
0: three songs are you playing? <laughs> Karima, you gonna get this question later.
1: I don't want to answer this question. You got to. I have to? Yes. I don't want to. You have to. Uh, These are classic Detroit. No, I'm bad. I'm bad at this. Like, I like to sing. You know, if I go to do karaoke, I will waste the whole night like trying to pick a song from the list. I really don't do well with that. Michelle, stop doing this. Connect with the
0: people. What three songs are you picking?
1: It'll have to be someone I can sing along to loudly. Okay. I'm going to freeze. I'm not going to answer this.
0: Ah, uh, Karima. Yes. Can you can you uh can you be the enforcer on this? E- enforcer to answer a question? Mm. Enforcer.
1: <laughs> I don't have one. I don't have one, let alone three. Hear?
0: What's something you hear It's the end of the fireworks. You're the DJ. You can't not play nothing. Mm. What are
1: some of the things you're thinking about? I um I always liked on Fridays to listen to Robin, my favorite Swedish pop singer. I like <laughs> she would right. sing Dancing on My Own.
0: Okay, Robin Dancing all on right. My Own.
1: Oh, I'm so so miserable right now.
0: Come on now. Come on now.
1: I don't have them. Please don't make me drag through. Yes. Uh, yes.
0: This is like a standoff. I know it is. <laughs> you gotta give us two more songs. The people gotta know. If you was the DJ, could you be at the family reunion or would it's they kick birthday. you off?
1: It's Time to dance. See, I'm freezing. That's what's happening. I wanna look at my phone and find songs. <laughs> okay, do it, do it. I need, I need two two more songs. You can do
0: that. I need two more songs. You can go the phone. I don't mind it. I need two more songs. And then you're 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 out of the hot seat.
1: I would like to sing um if I'm with a group, I would like to do um As. Okay. You know that song?
0: Okay, when you say ass, I think of um, Stevie Wonder. Yes. Okay, I'm with that.
1: Um, if you would have to look up the lyrics though, as you sing.
0: Okay. And All right. So you're a DJ that will sing. That's, oh yeah. That's, a, that's added bonus.
1: Uh huh. Um. I like old music, so I'd probably find if I would probably bail out to that.
0: You got one more song, mm-hmm. and then you're, you're out of the hot seat.
1: I'm trying to think back to your car question, what I would want to listen to in my car when I was young.
0: It depends on what year you graduated
1: from high school. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I used to listen to a lot of... Um, see I can't even think of names when I'm nervous like this Um, I remember having my voice go out in high school and being so sad that I couldn't sing along Um, but I can't I can't even think I'm sorry I want to we need (laughs) one
0: more song from you Michelle
1: (laughs) this is like 10 in 10 minutes I know
0: this (laughs) is like I I know I feel like I'm in an interrogation room (laughs)
1: -mm. I'm not getting closer. Mm
0: -mm -mm. What year did you graduate?
1: Oh, three.
0: Oh, three. You should have been listening to a lot of
1: fifty cents. A lot. You should have
0: been listening to
1: a, Nelly uh, was was more my flavor. Okay. Is hot
0: and here the song you play? No. That that's the Nelly.
1: That's the Nelly uh, epitome. I would just not choose that song.
0: Oh my gosh. It's mm-hmm. like oh. People want to hear hot and here. <laughs> It's, it's 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 the fireworks, so it should be hot. It's like the end of June. Mhm. It is
1: hot in here. People would probably like it.
0: Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push hot in here. It wasn't here, it was her from Nelly. And then you said from the Robins. What what song was that?
1: It's called Dancing on My Own.
0: Dancing on My mm-hmm. Own and Ass from Stevie Wonder. This was the toughest three songs ever. <laughs> Kim Tandy was kinda difficult too, but you were. She just didn't know the name. She was just like "Earth, Wind and Fire." I'm like, "What Earth, Wind and Fire song?" So you you've placed, <laughs> you've placed. It's, it's rarely hip hop records picked. I'm pretty sure Kareem is gonna pick all hip hop, but uh, that's Kareem's vibe. But I ain't no telling. She may pick Brazilian jazz.
1: I have like a weird, a weird lack when it comes to music too. Like I got. My computer stolen and I got divorced and I, I had all the in my once I got a computer fried and I lost all my music and I just have like this um, passiveness with music where I don't I don't like own it and I don't remember and I don't I like I don't know
0: that's the second time you mentioned divorce that must be strong Karima's about to come from the charts because she's a divorcee as well mm-hmm so divorce- it is
1: strong yeah
0: divorcee and is strong. How strong is it, Karima? It's
1: pretty strong.
0: It affects your musical taste?
1: I think you you share life with someone and the more time you invest in that, the more you you build with someone your life sharing with them. So when you separate it's like your identity has mm-hmm. to you have to really get yourself together.
0: My first love liked The Simpsons a lot. And since then, I can't watch a Simpsons episode. It's weird. Fuck <laughs> The
1: Simpsons. Yeah, that's how I be feeling. That's how
0: I be feeling. It's like, damn, it's like, ah, this may be good some good. And I like cartoon uh, comedy.
1: The way I think about it is, like, I used to think I knew the future. And now I know that I never knew it. Right? And I still don't. But I used to think that I did.
0: This is always a question I ask for divorcees. I may get into this with Karima. This is just like a bar question I ask. When did you know it's like, "Mm, it's it's probably not going to work. Like, okay, like how much longer did you stay?
1: Well, years. mm, I, I, part of my problem was like, I didn't have the vision to think that I could leave. I was like hoping that he would fall in love with someone else and leave me. I never,
0: when did you wake up and know? like? "Mm, Listen,
1: when I got proposed to, I didn't want to say Yes
0: am so you knew immediately
1: yeah i did not know that i could say no mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm.
1: but i loved him i think i loved him but i wasn't ready you know so it was just our ways kind of in there
0: mm. mm-hmm. this is over t- over time detroit is
1: different yeah i'm trying to recover some conversation from that Black space, for are it real yeah,
0: Michelle. Mm-hmm. How do people get in contact with you? I'm gonna give some money to your campaign. You are just other people uh, support you. Um, you know, campaigns cost money because people need literature to mail and to do stuff, like you know, because uh, the best campaigns are campaigns where they actually have people that go door to door and stuff, yeah, like that. yeah. When you go door to door, it's good to give people gas money and some food, and you know, you want to treat people with humanity. Yeah. You know, so um, how do people get in contact with
1: you? So, it, in the context of the campaign,
0: or just in context of
1: whatever, it's uh, it's my website is Michelle Four Rep. So my name is One L, and it's spelled with a four, so it's hard to find M I C H E L E number four. R-E-P dot com.
0: You've been hanging around a lot of black people. So you use four instead of F-O-R.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it's district four, by the way. <laughs> it's got multiple layers. And <laughs> and uh, um, for like, my writing and my music and all that, that's on my website. Overdo it. Okay. So that's another way.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, she will definitely be back. This one was a deep dive into a lot of stuff. Next time it'll maybe be more artistic and colorful, but it'll probably be a deep dive because it's a lot of real stuff that you're fighting. Uh, a Justice Warrior, I'm pro-Michelle, <laughs> you're good people. Um, as our passionate uh, collective friend, Freddie, and I ain't seen Freddie in forever, um, he is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, know that The Trade Is Different is <laughs> an open forum for you as it is for Karima. So reach out to me, what you need from this space and this place as it's going. It supports you
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: I'm moving with this and a lot of other young creatives and bring some people by and let's create some content that's real and and gets out here.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Peace.
1: Peace.